My guess is that this morning, if you thought about it, you already knew what the scripture was going to be today. It's Palm Sunday. There are four versions of Jesus' entry into the Holy City, one in each of the Gospels. They vary slightly, but all of them speak to the fact that today's entry into this Holy City, though by no means the first one for Jesus, as certainly he would have been there many times in his life, this is a critical one, because this is a Sunday of commitment and of no turning back. I invite you to hear now the entry into Jerusalem as the Gospel of Luke records it in the 19th chapter. He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, And as you enter it, you will find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Loving God, thank you for this good word. Thank you for this holy story. For when we heard it as young children and paraded and waved palm branches to those of us who are on that end of the journey, who are remembering that entrance for so many years, It has been a story that has both compelled us, comforted us, challenged us, and prepared us. We pray that this story and all that we offer in this moment, the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts and minds, all would be to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday, I uh, joined with so many others up on the field behind us, between here and Renaissance um, High School, to watch the Easter egg hunt uh, unfold. And uh, it was always, it's always a big, fun event, and yesterday was no exception. Fortunately, the weather was perfect, except for the wind that was blowing children across the field. Um, <laughs> But it was great, and everyone was was gathering, and I don't know, several hundred, 300 or more kids were there, 
4,000 eggs to be gathered from among scattered there in the field. And as they began to arrive, the kids knew their mission. And they gathered along that line, that imaginary line that had been drawn to say, all right, y'all stay here, and when we get started, y'all go. And so people would come, and the crowd would gather, and you could feel the energy and tension building as these kids were literally leaning forward, knowing there was free candy to be out out there in the field. It was quite a sight to see. And so it got to be right at 2 o'clock. And, of course, the plan was to start a few minutes late because every year, you know, folks get there a little bit late and you hate it when they show up and the eggs are all collected. So we wanted to delay it a little bit. And um, Hallie Gazelle, who is just an amazing uh, member of our staff, she and Shannon uh, Majerus together uh, do amazing things for our children and families ministries. And uh, they had put this on. And Hallie saw that some of the kids in their, in their innocent eagerness had sort of wandered into the field. So she wanted to hold everybody back. So Hallie goes out and stands in front of this crowd to say very simply this, it is not time yet to go. The only word they heard was go. And they went tearing out across the field I honestly thought we were going to have to hire a new staff person <laughs> as Hallie would have been trampled underneath. They went out into that, and it was not an image of the resurrection of Jesus that came to my mind. Rather, it was a locust plague going across the field from the Old Testament. Literally, 4,000 plus eggs were all collected, and I'm not exaggerating, in four minutes. <laughs> and then, because we learned, some folks went out and scattered a few more for the folks who had come a little bit late, and they were scooped up rather quickly. These kids were committed. They were focused. They knew their mission, and they were going to accomplish it, and they did in rapid order, and it was a wonderful day. Now, I'm not sure exactly how we teach children about resurrection by having them collect chocolate out of Easter eggs, but I do understand that perhaps yesterday the kids may have understood that this is, in fact, a weekend of commitment and celebration. Palm, and now as we call it Palm and Passion Sunday, is the day when the ministry of the church, when the ministry of Jesus Christ goes to a whole new level. Now we know from reading scripture that Jesus had been headed for Jerusalem for some time. He told the disciples long before they got there, you know, we're going to Jerusalem, and it says he turned his face towards Jerusalem. He was going there with purpose, with intent, with foreknowledge as to what was going to happen, at least in the general, if not the specific. He tried to tell the disciples, here's what's going to happen, here's why we're going and yet, you know, they, like we, oftentimes have an amazing ability to hear what we want to hear and to lay down the rest. The first thing that Jesus decided to do on this time of commitment was to decide how he would arrive. Now, he knew, I'm guessing he knew, that as he walked into the city, it would be a, a parade. He knew there would be acclamation. He knew on that first day, it would look as if 
everything had finally come together, and certainly the disciples believed the tide had turned and everyone is with us. Jesus could, like the disciples, have begun to think other thoughts, that maybe, just maybe, if we get enough support, I won't have to go through the end of the week. But Jesus chose to not buy into that. He chose to take a different way of going into the city so he would stay focused. As I was thinking about this portion of the scripture, I had this image come to me. How many of you have gone back to your high school reunion years after you graduated? And actually it happened between services. Somebody in the congregation came up to me and said, this is what we did. They went out and they rented a red uh, hot car so they could drive up in a matching gown and have it look like they had made it. And I was grateful for their honesty with me. And I said, you know, yeah, the Jesus chose to show up in a 2009 Chrysler minivan, you know? Didn't want any false expectations laid out there. He chose to ride on a donkey. On a donkey. Why? Well, in part because he wanted to be clear to everyone, if they were paying attention, that he was coming into the holy city following in the flow of God's spirit. He was doing what God had said needed to happen. He is referring back to the passions in Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, where he talks about how the Savior will be coming in riding on a donkey. So that was by intent to tie him to what God had foretold long ago. He wanted to be doing what God said needed to be done. He also wanted to do it because clearly riding on a donkey, you're showing humility. You want to be clear that you're not about being more than who you are. He wanted to be clear to make sure that everyone knew this wasn't so much about him as it was God's purpose through him. And so he says, I need you to go get a donkey. He looks at two of the disciples and says, I want you to go up. I want you to go down um, Buffalo Street. I want you to go over to Washington, make a right, go up half a block, and there's a donkey tied up there. I want you to go get that one. And they said, oh, yeah, well, what if someone comes out and says, what are you doing? He said, then tell them the Lord needs it. So they go up and make their way over to Washington Street, and they're untying the donkey, and someone comes out, the owner, and says, what are you doing, man? And they, got, and they say, well, the Lord needs it. Uh, it's always mystified to me that that was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Someone's out in the front taking my Buick. The Lord needs it. Oh, okay, yeah, no worries, that's good. But Scripture's intent here is to help us hear a couple of things. One, the fact is, yeah, probably, I'm going to guess, I don't know, do you, that there was a previous conversation that the guy who owned the donkey knew this was going to happen? I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit was intervening? I'm not sure. But certainly when the word is said, the Lord needs it, you notice what isn't said. They don't say Jesus needs it. They weren't just saying it's Jesus. No, this is now Jesus called the Lord. You understand? Jesus is stepping fully into the understanding that he was the Messiah. But he was not going to be a traditional thought of Messiah. He's going to be the kind who rides on a donkey. And goes into the week ahead. Now, this portion about the Lord needs it has always struck me as interesting, confusing, if I'm going to be honest. See, I'm not thinking about why I need the Lord. 
And I'm used to having people say to me, you need Jesus. But what about what Jesus needs? I mean, the truth is, is it not possible that Jesus could have found another donkey? I mean, what if the guy said, no, you can't have it? One can't imagine the disciples would have stolen it, so my guess is they would have found another donkey or called up Donkeys R Us and rented one. I don't know. <laughs> Did he need that donkey? And of course, I get the question. Because what we're really doing when we ask that question is asking the bigger question, does Jesus really need anything? Does Jesus really need us? Does Jesus really need me? I get, I get that we want to say, well, we can't limit God. That if I were to say no to God, God would find another way. Of course I am not able to stop God with my brokenness or stubbornness or whatever. But I can't thwart what God wants to have happen through me. And God's asking through Jesus of this donkey had specific ramifications. Just in the same way, what Jesus needs from each one of us is an intentional asking of us to be what God needs us to be in that moment. We cannot overstate the importance of that moment. And I don't always know when it is. I'll be clear. Most of the time, I figure out what God is doing in hindsight. I'd like to tell you, I always know from the get-go. Best is, usually, I've got a hunch. How's that from your spiritual leader? But the truth is, sometimes you just can't always know this is exactly but you have a hunch. Now, I will tell you there have been a few moments, yes, and probably for you too, where it became clear as a bell. But either way, whether it's your best hunch or confidence and certainty, the fact that Jesus needs something of us, needs us, is a critical issue. It is suggesting to us that God has intentionally built us, made us as we are with the gifts and graces and foibles that we carry, and knowing all of that has a place for us in the puzzle of life. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus is making a commitment to go into the holy city. He is committing to more than just entering the city. He's committing to living that week Hopefully it's just my battery and not me. <laughs> he knows, thank you, Lord. He knows that by the end of the week, betrayal and torture, he knows humiliation. He knows death is coming. He knows all that. So when he says, I'm willing to come into the holy city, what he's saying is, I'm willing to accept all that. I'm willing to be the Savior, Lord, you need me to be. And because he was committed to follow through that, there were ripples of grace that spread out across generations to us even today. In the same way, even when it, it's that donkey that gets picked, 
I mean, I know it's not scriptural, but can you go with me on this? Do you understand that perhaps probably in hindsight, the owner of the donkey recognized the role that he played in allowing this to happen? I mean, I'm guessing yes. G.K. Chesterton, a, a theologian and author um, of a previous generation, wrote a poem about this donkey called The Donkey. And then he describes the awkwardness and the, the ridicule that the donkey often gets because they're just, quite frankly, weird creatures. With monstrous head and sickening bray and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things. The battered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, scourge, beat, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There once was shout about my head and palms below my feet. I mean, I don't know if it matters to you, but G.K. Chesterton suggested it probably mattered to the donkey. He got selected. And I suspect today that most of us sitting in this room are believing that we are less than what God would ever really actually need. Quite frankly, God can accomplish whatever God needs to accomplish around me, over me, and in spite of me. And of course, in some ways, that's true. But the truth is, our lives are missing out on great blessings in the grand story God has in store for us if we continue to believe God does not need us because Jesus does. It is likely that you, like I, have responded to God's need for my life, for my witness, for what I need to do by using all the excuses we know. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too poor, I'm too ordinary, I'm too tired or sinful or busy or overwhelmed. Another time in my life will be better. Why not look for someone else, God, someone who's holier, who knows more Bible, who's more used to being churched, who's kinder, better looking, and the like? You can all find a reason why God wouldn't really need me. And when we believe that, when we tell ourselves that, we're listening to lies. Tanya Koch was kidnapped when she was a middle schooler. Her captor kept her prisoner for 10 years, and over those 10 years constantly told her that her family didn't want her, that the family didn't love her, the family wasn't looking for her. He continually brainwashed her for 10 years, until finally he believed she was so brainwashed she could go out on her own to the store and mall, and she did, and she kept coming back to her captor because she began to believe the lies in her head. Until one day, she found the courage to quit believing the lie. And in the mall, by herself, she went up to an officer and said her story. She was reunited with her family. And her one question was, why weren't you looking for me? Why didn't you need me? And it was only then that she discovered they had never stopped looking for her. Would you? And their life didn't begin again until they had found her. The lies that we listen to, that God does not need us, are like that. Today you need to hear the truth. Jesus needs you.
Jesus knows what you have to offer and needs you to offer it now, today. It's Commitment Sunday. Your unique gifts will make a difference in the world in ways that you do not understand and maybe never will. Sometimes the ripples of grace that come out of our life, it's not for us to know all about. God knows what's going on. Jesus needs your messy, broken self to be given to him so he can take it and bring healing and purpose. Jesus needs your grief. Hand it over to him so he can help you carry it. Jesus needs your anger so he can receive it so you won't poison yourself and hurt others. Jesus needs your talents because they were given to you for a purpose and he'd like to help you magnify them to God's glory. You never know how and when Jesus will use what he needs from you, but when you commit it, you set in motion the opportunity for it to be used. Yesterday, after I left the uh, egg hunt, I had planned on spending the whole time with them, but I wasn't able to. I was able to be there just for the beginning and watch a stampede. And then I went over to help celebrate the life of five-year-old Emily who passed away. And I was in a room with her and her family who I just met this week and about 80 people who I'd never seen before. And I looked around that room and I recognized those folks were all called for a purpose. They all showed up for a reason. They wanted to love their friends. They wanted be present when there were no words to say that would make anything right. And I'm here to tell you, and this is, this is just truth, and it's their truth because they told me, the majority of them said to me, you know, we're not churched. Which I thought, my God, if you think God only uses church people. And I said to them, this traditional church pastor, what was on my heart? I don't understand this. I'm not going to wrap this up for you today. I can't make sense of this. And I'm angry too. And if you're not angry at God, then I'm going to invite you to explore a little bit more what you're feeling because I think it's there. The Father, after the service, said that's the most important thing you said to me. It's okay for me to be angry at God. I told them, you've heard me say this to you before, that I get angry with God at times when God doesn't listen to me. Am I alone? Do you? And I'm not talking about the little piddly stuff. I'm talking about five-year-old children dying stuff. And I told them, as I tell you, and you know this, that I can get awful angry. I have a hot temper. But I've never known God to be wilted by my temper. And the people I love the most are the ones who usually get my hot anger. Isn't that weird? Because I know they're going to love me regardless. Same with God. My point is, they didn't know that they were going to have to be there yesterday instead of an Easter egg hunt. They didn't know that. They were there. And Jesus needed them to be there. And he didn't need them to know theology. But as I said to the family and said to the family around them, the only thing that would make today worse as if in saying goodbye to Emily, we thought there was nobody left to hold her with love and care.
And while I don't get it, I don't understand it all, I am confident of the fact that today she's held in the arms of Jesus. I believe that. You never know where you're going to be needed. But don't ever buy into the lie Jesus doesn't need you. And you don't have things to give to him. And those needs being met and those gifts being given don't make all the difference because they do. So I'm going to invite you today to consider what Jesus needs from you. I already told you about the pledge card. You know how to fill that out. That's fine. But what I want to talk about now is the blank pledge card. The blank card. I want you to take it out. And if you don't have one, ask someone sitting next to you to tear it into theirs in half and share with you. It's okay. I want you to focus on that blank card for a second. And I want to invite you to take this opportunity to write on that card what you're willing to give to Jesus. I'm not talking about the capital campaigns pledge card. That's the other card. That's that business. I'm talking about what Jesus needs from you today. Do you have a hunch? Do you want to find out? Maybe that's what you put on the card, Lord. Help me know what you need. Maybe you know what you need to give to Jesus so that you can be set free or healed or blessed or celebrate with him. I don't know, but you do what you need to put on that blank card. I'm going to invite you to do that in this next few minutes. And yes, if you haven't filled out your capital campaigns card, you can do that during this time too. But the point is this. It's Commitment Sunday. And whether you are a longtime member here or this is your first Sunday, I'm going to invite you to come forward in a few minutes. And place your cards, whatever they are, in this basket. The ushers are going to help bring you up. And place your card in this basket as an act of commitment. Jesus entered in, came forward on this day with commitment. And because he did, all the rest happened, yes. And I'm not saying what you're going to give might not also mean some sacrifice. I'd be lying to you if I didn't think that wasn't possible. But I know commitment brought forward to God always ends in resurrection. It always does. So I'm going to invite you to fill out your cards as you need to do that. We're going to take a few moments in silence. There's going to be some music playing. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to come back out. And I'm going to ask the ushers to help guide you forward. And let's share together in this act of commitment. But first, would you join with me in prayer? Gracious and loving God. There was a need long ago. There was a need for you to get that donkey to come forward to ride into that city to face what you were about to face in the week ahead. You did it. So great was your love for us. Today, we are able to be here in this place because of your grace and love and mercy. And so I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help guide each person to find what it is that you need of them and what they need from you. Whatever they are, I ask that you allow us with writing symbols or words or whatever it takes that we would be able in a few minutes to come forward and to place our commitment together equally, humbly, into this basket for you. And then I ask that you would bless what we've committed, that they would send out ripples of grace in places and the people we may never know, but you know. 
So let us take these few moments and be alone and quiet with you as we write what we need to write. To your glory we pray.